Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 63. We got down to about verse 5 and 6, talking about the day of vengeance. And if you'll remember that we studied that in Isaiah 61, where Jesus spoke of to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, 61 verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God, when he read this scripture in the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, the first sermon that he preached, he stopped with that statement to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the day of vengeance of our God. So the acceptable year of the Lord was when Jesus came and from that day and age until now. But there is a day of vengeance in the future. And we've already spoken of it in the first five and six verses. I'll read the last couple of verses here in Isaiah 63 that we studied. Let me read verse five and six. Well, let's read verse 4 because it mentions directly the day of vengeance. It says, For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And we quoted in our last lesson and talked about in our last lesson in the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter, and also in the 19th where Jesus comes again in power and great glory. And it says he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And you'll find him coming to execute judgment upon all the ungodly and to set up his kingdom in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, the millennium. So that had to do with what we're talking about. Now then, verses 7, Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 14, we have the great intercessory prayer. Jehovah's loving kindness and power in the past remembrance of what He has done. And so verse 7, let's pick up there. I will mention the, the loving kindness of the Lord. And by the way, it's loving kindnesses. That's plural, more than one, isn't it? I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He hath bestowed on them according to His mercies, and according to the multitude of His loving kindnesses. When God has loving kindness, it's just not one thing. It's, many, it's expressed in many ways. This reminder serves to encourage us in every gloomy time, in every sad time of our lives. You know, most of the time when we're sad or we're discouraged or we're disheartened, if we'll remember God's mercies and loving kindnesses toward us, it will cheer us. It will help us to realize that though we have problems, and all of us do have, that... Uh, God's mercy and loving kindness is greater than all of our situation, all of our circumstances. You know, God is greater than circumstances. God is greater than all situations that we may face. And if we'll remember that, we'll, it will cheer us along. Verse uh, 8 says, For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie, so he was their Savior. Now, when God chose the Jews, he knew that they had an inability to keep faith in Him. He knew their inability to do so. And by the way, when, when the Lord chose us in free grace and salvation, He knew our inabilities and our weaknesses. 
God knows human failings. He knows how easy it is for us to fail. Yet his uh, motive is to save us and to save men. And we need to realize that God, above all, understands all about us. We try to be understanding toward one another. And certainly we should be more loving. You know, it's a constant prayer of mine. As I was on my way to church tonight, to be more loving, to be more caring, to be more understanding uh, of every person's need, of those that are sick and those that have, are uh, suffering losses in various ways and those that have suffered loss of family and, and uh, in their home, in their lives. And it's our business to pray constantly that we'll have that kind of an attitude toward people. And here we know that God certainly understands. And he tells us, you know, Paul says that I may be able to comfort those that are in any trouble with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So when God gives us comfort and help in time of our problems, we ought to be able to pass it on and comfort those who are in any trouble with that same comfort. So uh, God knows about us. Now verse 9 says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. doesn't say because they deserved it, he redeemed them, does it? It says in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So we're reminded of God's kindness and power in the past. And you know what God has done for us in the past ought to be an incentive to trust Him more today and in the future. Uh, someone says, well, you know, I'm just afraid that it won't hold out and that this will turn bad. and all." Well, how many years has God blessed you and taken care of you? And has He ever let you down? Hasn't God always been faithful? Aren't you here today, safe and sound, under His blessings? You say, well, I still got these problems. Well, who doesn't? But... God's with you. You know, Job of old says, Man that is born of woman is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And he says, uh, Man that is born of woman is of a few days, and they are full of trouble. He says both of those things. So, But look at this. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Now, when Israel suffered, God likewise suffered because of the covenant bond that he had with them. He was so bound to them that in their sufferings he suffered. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Can you picture God being afflicted? God's not afflicted, but he's afflicted sympathetically and in pity and in love when we are afflicted. In all affliction, his presence was with them. In the traumatic events of Exodus, remember how that all the things that happened to deliver them out of uh, from under the hand of Pharaoh... And the bondage they were in, they, you know, the last part of their lives there in servitude, they had to make bricks without straw. And they said, bricks without straw? Who can do that? And he told them that if they wanted any of it, they'd have to gather it by night and make the bricks during the day. In other words, work nearly around the clock to do what, he, what they were putting on them to do. Bitter servitude. Taskmasters set over them. And they treated them mean. Well, God came along and looked at all that He did in the events of Exodus. He brought ten great judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And during some of those judgments, though Israel saw many of them, a lot of times, remember when the darkness came, 
It said, but the children of Israel had light in all their dwellings. Even though darkness was over the earth, God said, I'm going to give you light. And it doesn't mean they had a, a, a light uh, with candles or otherwise. God just severed between. He says, I'm going to sever between that you may know that God doth put a difference between the Egyptians and between His people. And you know, it's much like it is today. God puts a difference between His people. There are people that are dwelling in darkness and God's people in the same uh, area and the same circumstances are dwelling in the light. And it tells us to walk in the light. So, when they were afflicted, He was afflicted. And all these events and the the judgments and the crossing of the Red Sea and their travelings in the wilderness. Remember all after after they were delivered by blood and by power, the Passover lamb, the blood was shed, and then the power of God opened up the sea and brought them across and out of Pharaoh's grasp. And then what happened? They were in that wilderness and they began to complain and murmur against God. And then what happened? God took care of them in spite of all their complaining. He had to chasten them time and again. But He took care of them. You know, God has to correct us time and again too, doesn't He? But He still takes care of us. And all this, and they're traveling in the wilderness when there was no water. He said, Moses, you smite that rock and water will come out. And Moses stood upon Horb and smote the rock and waters gushed forth. And He gave them manna from on high. And their shoes didn't wear out on their feet. And their clothes on their backs. And God took care of them forty long years. And He took not His Holy Spirit from them. The Holy Spirit was with them in the, in the presence of God in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them by day and by night. See, God has given us a constant guiding by day and by night. The Holy Spirit's presence is with us. That cloud and fire was typical and a type of the Holy Spirit that is with us to guide us with. Just in the daytime? No, day and night. We have a constant guide. God never forsook them. And it went with them all their wilderness journey. No wonder it says, In all their affliction he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. Remember it says, The angel of the Lord that went before them went behind them. And the pillar of cloud that was before them went behind them and came between Israel in the camp of the Egyptians. So that they saw not one another. And they could not come near one another. And the enemy was was separated from God's people and so that God protected them by that same Spirit and same angel's presence and by His presence that He led them by. You see, the same Holy Spirit's power that protect, that leads us and guides us by day and by night also protects us from the hand of the enemy. See, we have a great power on our side. A great power to protect us from the enemy's onslaughts. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you walk as a Christian in that way and in God's light, you know your enemies can smite at you and they can do whatever they will. It's not going to harm you. It may uh, humble us once in a while, but it's not going to really harm us. Just let the, the heathen rage and let the enemies rage and the persecution come if God is with us. Remember we said to, to remember and to memorize Isaiah 54, verse 7, 17. Did anyone memorize that? Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. It says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. 
So no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And if we remember that uh, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? All right, look at this ninth verse. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. That means by grace, doesn't it? That means that they didn't deserve it. Why did he redeem them and how? Because he loved them and he felt sorry for them. He pitied them. He sympathized with them. He knew that they were uh, weak. He knew that they needed a Savior that was strong. And look, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. All the days of old. Remembering God's past mercies. Now let's look at the rest of it. Verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. What happened? Because of their rebelliousness, it caused them to be grieved. And by the way, just as Israel's rebelliousness grieves God, so does the disobedience of the Christian today grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now then, the unbeliever resists the Holy Spirit and rejects the Holy Spirit. But the believer grieves the Holy Spirit. The believer can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know how children, when they disobey fathers and mothers, and when they're trying to teach them right and cause them to do right, and you have a faithful father and mother that has taught them the ways of God and the things of God, and when that child goes astray and when that child does things that are wrong, it grieves the heart of the father and mother. And we grieve God in that way and His Holy Spirit. And you know, we, we need to pray that we will not grieve God's Spirit. It says in verse uh, uh, 11, Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with a shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? He remembered. In other words, in recalling how God worked in the days of Moses, the thought is, where is God who acted in those days? In verse 12, Then led them, that led them by the right hand of Moses. The right hand speaks of the, the, the power. And with his, with his glorious arm, the arm of power, speaks of strength and power. Dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name. It was all for God's glory that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. The right hand of Moses was merely the instrument of the power of God that divided the water. The power came from God. But Moses, God told Moses, he says, you take the rod and you smite the waters and they'll be divided. And by the way, any ability that you and I have to do anything for God, we're only an instrument and His is the power. We don't have the power of ourselves. All we have is an arm of flesh. But God has power. And when He puts that power upon us and within us, and we are uh, submissive to be His servant and do the thing He wants us to do, it may not make us famous, but it will make us successful. It will make us powerful. It will make us do what God wants us to do. And this power came from God. <clears throat> God had... Moses with whom to work in those days. I wonder if he has you and I that he can work with today. It says that led them through the deep as an, as an horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. God doesn't want us to stumble. He wants us to make successful our way. 
Verse 14 says, As a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. It, you know, God even said Pharaoh to Pharaoh that what he was going to do would bring glory to God. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that all they did in rebelling against God was to glorify God. He says, Have not I raised thee up to, that I might show forth in thee uh, my power? He raised up Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh rebelled against God and then and hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. That works in two ways. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 8, 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto, unto them as the Lord had said. Remember when they were frogs all over the land? And Pharaoh consulted Moses and he says, Moses, he says, I want you to remove these frogs. We've had enough of this. They were in their bed chambers. They were in their kneading troughs. They were everywhere they went in the house. I mean, just a plague of frogs. And uh, Moses said, uh, when, when, when do you want me to remove these frogs? And he said, tomorrow. Man, I wouldn't have said tomorrow, would you? I have a message. One more night with the frogs. And you know, some people, they want God to to deliver, but they want to... They still want to hang on to their sins just a little bit longer and spend one more night in what they're doing. And it won't do you any good. Man, now's the time, isn't it? Only a fool would say tomorrow remove those frogs. But then after it was done, and they gathered them together and upon heaps, and, and they stank, the land stank because of all these dead frogs. Naturally, it would be a pretty stinking place. But old Pharaoh, it says, when he saw that there was respite, how did he think that, God, that Moses was going to get rid of all those frogs if he didn't, didn't smite them and they were killed and there's a whole heap of them? That he just couldn't uh, say, go away, frogs. So anyway, he saw that there was respite and he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. God says he will, won't listen. He said, after you remove the plague, he'll still harden his heart. That was the nature of this man. And then in the 10th chapter, turn over the 10th chapter of Exodus, in verse 20, after another plague, it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Verse 20. Exodus 10, verse 20. So that he would not let the children of Israel go. You see, first, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And God saw what kind of nature and, and kind of character this man was. And so he hardened his heart. And you know, some of these things are happening today in our world. I don't know if we recognize it or not, but uh, we've got one over there that's hardening his heart against everything that's right and true and good. And God will go ahead and harden his heart, and then he'll have to bite the dust one of these days. Because no man can live forever in that, in that situation. One of these days, something's going to happen. And I don't know how it will happen. I'd be a fool to try to predict it, but it will happen. It will happen. And we may be surprised how it will happen, too. Probably all of us will be, because I don't think we really know. You know, the Bible says that God setteth up kings and He removeth kings. He removes them, He sets them up. And sometimes they're set up to show God's power. Pharaoh was, and he brought him to a screeching halt, didn't he? And that's what will happen one of these days, that some of these other problems we, we, that we think we are trying to solve in the world. But let's look at this. On down in verse 14, it says, as a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. 
Now, God doesn't want to make us a glorious name, but in everything that He does, His name is glorified. God's protection for them was like a shepherd that leads his herd down from the hills to a fertile, well-watered valley and plain. The Bible says that, uh, well, you know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, if it's a valley, and if there's a shadow, there's got to be a light. And if you walk, there has to be activity. And though I walk through, you'll go through that valley to the other side, through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, God's anointing. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the Lord is the shepherd that leads us up. Look at this. As a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. And he guided these wandering Jews not only through this well-watered valley, but into the promised land, through the wilderness into the promised land. I want you to look at verse 15. Look down from heaven. Here's their deepest need. Look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. Where is thy zeal and thy strength, the sounding of thy bowels and thy mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Their deepest need was to cry to God because He was the one that would look down from heaven uh, upon them. This is an appeal for God to pity Israel. Do you ever say, God, look down from heaven and see me where I am and help me? We, we often do, don't we? We need to ask God to look down from heaven and have mercy upon us. And uh, it says, Where is thy zeal and thy strength, the sounding of thy bowels, thy inmost being, and thy mercies toward me? Are they restrained? God, have you restrained these mercies now? Are you still going to permit them to be manifested to us? And He does continue to to pour out His blessings upon us. Verse 16 is a cry of faith. Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledges not. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. Reminds me of when the disciples went away, you know, and Jesus said, Will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. If you were to go away from the Lord, where would you go? Remember that song we used to sing? Where can I go but to the Lord? You can't go anywhere. You just try to make up your mind where you're going to go. Are you going to go to religion? Are you going to go to some, uh, some uh, group? Are you going to go to some cult? Are you going to go to some... Uh, imaginary deliverer or even declared to be deliverer. I don't think there's anyone you can go to. All the gods of the heathen are dead. Jesus died and rose again. He's seated on the right hand of God. I want to go to a living Savior, not a, a dead head. Do you? All the heads of other groups are dead, right? And we have a living head. Christ is the head. Of the church. And he's living. And he ever liveth to make intercession. For all that come unto God by him. Look at verse uh, 
Uh, 16 again. Doubtless thou art our father. Do we recognize him as our father? Though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not, thou, O Lord, art our father. Our redeemer, look at that word redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting, your everlasting God. Everlasting means from eternity past to eternity future. No beginning and no ending. Who but God has no beginning and no ending? Who but the Lord? The Lord Jesus has no beginning and no ending. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. The Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in the beginning was the Word. Pre-existence. The Word was with God. Co-existence. And the Word was God. Self-existence. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation of Christ. And we beheld His glory, the glory as, the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So He was not begotten at any time, like the Jehovah's Witnesses say. He's always been. Just as sure as there's an eternal Father, there's an eternal Son. Because He coexisted and preexisted, And John chapter 1 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God. He was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light. was sent to bear witness of that light. That is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, this verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It goes on and says, which were born not of the flesh, the will of the flesh, or so on, but, the, but of nor blood, but of the God of God, born of God. All right, let's look at this verse. Thy name is from everlasting. Verse seventeen. O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our heart? Remember that hardening of the heart. We said that it's because we harden our hearts that God hardened. God hardens the heart. See, He doesn't harden our heart until we harden our heart. He says, if you're going to be that way, just be that way. He gives you opportunity to to repent, and He says, if you're determined to have a hard heart, then I'm going to harden it. That's what He did to Pharaoh, wasn't it? We just read it. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, there comes a time that we seal our own destiny and harden our heart from thy fear return for thy servant's sake the tribes of thine inheritance here was an increasing plea and a prayer that they had God cannot be blamed for making man to go astray because this is against his nature you read the book of James he tempted not any man to sin he may test men and try men, but he does not tempt to sin. But God gave man a free will in which gave him an option to sin or to not to sin, as he did Adam and Eve. But God does, does harden the hearts of those who persistently disobey, just like he did Pharaoh. Once we harden our hearts to God's Word or His Spirit, like Israel in Isaiah's day, it becomes increasingly difficult to respond to God to the point that we cannot turn back. Sometimes God turns people over to a reprobate mind. You look in the book of Romans chapter 1. Verse 29 through 32, it says, it gives 23 indictments against ungodliness and sinfulness. Now look at this. Being filled with all unrighteousness, it says fornication, 
wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, they won't argue about it, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, they can't keep their word. You know, if a man cannot keep his word, I don't have any confidence in him whatsoever. We used to see men, the old men, the old timers, you know what they'd do? They'd make a deal for something, they'd shake hands. That's it. Didn't have a written contract, didn't have all the details. They'd say, okay, this is what you'll do, this is what I'll do. And I'll pay you for that, and you do this. It was agreed upon, and brother, it was sealed. And they kept their word. That's the kind of dealings we need is people to say, you do certain things and I'll do certain things and agree upon it and but doing that kind of thing. Well, back in our text and we'll hurry and finish it. We're in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 18. It says, The people of thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down thy sanctuary. Israel possessed the promised land but for a little while. But it was demolished and trodden down and trodden upon by their enemies for a period of time. And we are thine. Thou never bearest rule over them. They, they were not called by thy name. During the exile, they would feel so removed from God that it was as though that he had never ruled them. It's awful to feel that far away from God. And they did exactly that. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 64, we find the prayer for Jehovah's manifestation. They said, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. They remembered when God did rend the heavens, when the law was given, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Mount Sinai is called into remembrance. Exodus 19, let me read verses 16 through 19. Verse 16 says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. And he's already given the law. We'll just read this much of it. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw. Here's what I wanted to get to. The thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And and they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. God gave that holy law, and the people separated themselves. They said, Moses, you intercede for us, but don't let God speak with us. And that's what in Isaiah 64 is talking about. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. And then verse 3 says, When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed at thy presence. Another allusion to God's intervention on Mount Sinai. Psalm 68, verse 8. Let me read this one for you. It says, The earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Can you imagine? We, we talk about moving mountains. 
But the mountains did shake and they did move at the presence of God. We don't move any mountains. And the mountains we move are the obstacles that are in our way. And that's what Jesus meant when He said that if you say to this mountain, remove yonder, if you have faith, it'll move to another place. Well, I don't see Sarah Blanca moving down the valley or anything like that. But I do see our mountains of of troubles and obstacles and circumstances being moved out of the way when we pray and when we exercise faith. Because the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. But he that cometh to God must believe that He is, we believe that, and He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So He's going to answer our prayers. He's the rewarder. Well, our time is gone.